Evening, Dan. Evening, Omar. How are you? I'm very good, thanks. How are you doing? Doing all right, thank you. Doing all right. I hope you're watching. Uh, I've seen some of the Twitter pictures of, um, or rather, X pictures of, um, yeah, the Newcastle fans enjoying themselves in the the wet Milan weather. Is uh, yeah, something to behold. Oh, I haven't seen that. No, that sounds that sounds entertaining. Um, I admit, it's it's very nice to have a Newcastle back in the Champions League from a kind of slightly nostalgic perspective. I do remember the Bobby Robson teams in the early noughties in there, and um, they had some great ties and some great games. So I'm sure, um, I'm sure their fans are very much enjoying it. I think so, and it's actually I think great to see some um, you know other teams um, in um, the Champions League, especially from the EPL perspective. So, um, and that may be leads perfectly on <laughs> yeah. to uh, yeah some of the some of the great insights I know you're going to be able to provide on um, Champions League matters. I mean, I think the first thing was you did. I saw a great blog, mini blog that you guys, the Twenty First Group, did today on. Um, obviously, the the reforms of the Champions League, and we're going to talk about the Swiss model. Um, we're going to talk about sort of distribution models in terms of money, but we're also going to sort of hone in on the, this thing. Actually, cropped up a few times from um, just to give you a bit of context. In my experience, when I was working on a number of deals over the summer, um, this idea of sort of conditional payments, uh, additional payments, or otherwise, or bonus payments due if. Um, uh, uh, players uh, contributed to the team then qualified into the Champions League and obviously now because based on without wanting to spoil your your blog the the distinct possibility that a fifth team um, a, a fifth placed team in the EPL will likely qualify for the Champions League for next season um, not only will obviously that um, race for fifth be incredibly important but also it provides um, the possibility of um, a couple of clubs that might not be you know, seen as the incumbents that play year on year in the Champions League actually getting into the competition and um, potentially having um, a good run in the competition too. Yeah, exactly. So I guess to talk it through, it all starts with the fact that the Champions League is expanding from uh, 32 teams this year to... Uh, 36 teams next year with the, with the Swiss model, which we might get into in a bit. Um, so those four extra spots have got to come from somewhere. Um, now, controversially, uh, going back maybe a couple of years now, uh, maybe a bit more actually, there was discussion that actually the slots would be awarded to teams that had missed out on Europe um, that had the best UEFA coefficient. So it might be, uh, or missed out on the Champions League. So a good example of that, actually, in, in the year gone by, would be someone like Liverpool, who didn't qualify for the Champions League through the league, but they've amassed a, a pretty good coefficient um, through um, just the performances in Europe over, over a number of years, uh, and therefore would have essentially leapfrogged any team, uh, you know, any team that finished above them into the league, into the Champions League. Now, that got scrapped um, because it was seen, rightly so, I think, as, as elitist. Um, so they've, UEFA and, and ECA and other bodies have kind of been working out what what different approach is. Uh, we now know that one place is going to an additional champions. Um, so a, another country will have its, uh, a, its champions going directly to the group stage, which I think is is a good thing. So it'll tend to benefit. I forget which number association it is, but it'll be kind of the ninth or tenth, maybe a, a ranked association. Um, then one place is going to 
at the moment France. Um, so it's a team that's uh, currently ranked fifth on the UEFA coefficient. They're going to get um, an extra place. They're actually at risk a little bit, um, France. So they've got the guaranteed place for the 24-25 season. But at the end of this season, they will re-rank the coefficients and there's about a one in four chance Netherlands will will overtake them according to our model. So depending on how French teams get on in Europe and how Dutch teams get on in, in Europe this season, that, that could swing. Um, I, I suspect actually one of the challenges the Dutch teams have this year is that Ajax are not in a great spot at all, actually. They're, they're really struggling in the league and they... Um, yeah, the, their prospects of the season don't look great. And obviously a lot of um, the Netherlands coefficient rests on Ajax, although it must be said PSG aren't in much better shape at the moment either. Um, and then the final two places, which which is what the piece you refer to um, is on, um, is the two teams, that the two um, national associations or, or countries that perform best in uh, Europe this season. Um, now, the way that works is that it takes an average of the coefficient um, of the teams competing in the competition. So it's certain countries obviously have more teams competed. It's not the total um, coefficient, it's the average. Um, so if you have a team knocked out early, as Spain did with Osasuna in the qualifiers, it actually hurts you overall because your average is, um, is dragged down. Uh, and if we look in the last 10 years or so, it's been predominantly um, England occupying one of the spots, I think maybe eight out of the last 10 years. Could be wrong on that, but there's something around that. Um, and when you factor in how the Premier League has even grown in strength over the last 10 years or so, our modelling suggests that there's about a 90% chance that fifth place um, in the Premier League will uh, will get a team into, into the Champions League next season. Um, I, I think there will be some wrinkles if, for example, Liverpool win the Europa League and finish outside the top four. Uh, so there might be some kind of interesting permutations as you, as you get into the end of the season because my understanding is, well, I could be wrong here, that there a maximum of five teams from any one country will be allowed into into the Champions League. So it, it, we have a scenario where England got five teams because they're, um, they're the best coefficient in the season and they had a Europa League winner who didn't qualify for the Champions League. I don't think there would be six, but, but I'd, need to, I'd need to check that. I'm gonna just ask. I'm gonna come back and just to um just to let uh you give that that thought because I I was actually doing a bit of prep for this call as well as you can obviously imagine Omar. <laughs> and um one of the articles that I read um was actually in relation to that specific point. Now I haven't seen the regulations on it, so I can't be sure or certain. But um the the report was from the Athletic a few months ago that quite controversially, I guess, that theoretically there is the possibility of seven EPL teams um, being able to uh, participate in a Champions League Swiss model season because they could win the Champions League or and or the Europa League and with the coefficient um, place plus the four. So um, I haven't seen the regs, but the reporting from The Athletic was suggesting that they could actually have the Premier League and, I guess, then other leagues um, could potentially have um, a significant um, number within that uh, Swiss model ranking. But um, I could be um, proved wrong, depending on what the rules say. No, that, yeah, it's a good flag, actually. I want to check. I think the, pro- yeah, the probability of a Champions League winner not qualifying for the Champions League is slim, even though Liverpool obviously did it in 2005. But it feels slimmer now than it did um, nearly 20 years ago now. Um, but certainly the Europa League winner coming from England and England getting fifth place in the coefficient because those th- two things are correlated as well. Obviously, if an English team does well in 
uh, in the Europa League, it, would, it kind of boosts the average coefficient. So, yeah, I think there are scenarios, um, and we'll need to check on the on how many teams can actually get into um, into the Champions League, which I think, uh, yeah, it'll be it certainly you know might be kind of seeing an era of, of English dominance in um, in the Champions League over the next next few years. Um, uh, but, but I think more broadly, I think it's an interesting one. You know, fifth place in the Premier League. I think particularly, obviously, pre Newcastle's takeover, you've seen teams like Leicester, um, you know, finish fifth. I think in consecutive years, uh, Southampton have come close to it about ten years ago. Um, you know, you've had clubs like Spurs and uh, um, and Liverpool and Arsenal who kind of missed out on Champions League football. They'd all qualify for Europe now, having finished fifth most likely. So there's an opportunity. Brighton this season already, I think in the in the betting markets, I. Think our favourites for fifth, or maybe their favourites for sixth at the moment, um, and you know clearly knocking on the door for fifth. So it's not it's not totally infeasible to imagine Brighton in the Champions League next year. Uh, you know they, they could well finish fourth, but, but obviously fifth is slightly more more likely, and and that would get them through as as is the most likely scenario. I think the other thing. Um... I was just giving a bit of thought to as you were saying that which I found fascinating and I know that you can speak to it because it's, it's sort of right in sort of 21st group sweet spot is around value valuation piece as well in truth which is you know if um, fifth place more or less will guarantee EPL teams and possibly lower um, depending on success as you said on Europa League win or otherwise you know the the, the possibility of sixth place um and or lower qualifying for Champions League obviously leads to that sort of second category tier club having the distinct possibility of um, of getting into the Champions League and that probability or propensity to then, um, you know, earn those significant revenues. And we're going to come to those revenues in a second, but I wonder whether that sort of adds to the revenue multiplier effect. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, the, there's two elements of valuation, valuation for players and valuation for the club. Um, so valuation for the players, yeah, there's certainly a benefit to playing in Europe. We see, um, you know, player valuations are often a function of the quality of opposition that they're playing against. Um, and obviously more games against high-level players is, is super valuable. And then, yeah, for the club, I mean, most club valuations are based on revenue multiples. And if a team can demonstrate that, a European qualification isn't just a flash in the pan and it's kind of sustainable. You might expect to qualify for Europe three years out of five because of the amount of places that, that England are getting at the moment, then um, then obviously um, that, that benefits the multiple as well. So there's, um, yeah, there's, then this is where you get into the kind of, for, for, for other European leagues, a vicious cycle, for the Premier League, a kind of um, virtuous cycle where, you know, the Premier League clubs do well, get the revenues from Europe, Europe able to reinvest in the team, who up some of the best talent in Europe, etc., etc., etc. Yeah, it's it's you know things are looking pretty rosy for the Premier League at the moment. Well, it's almost that Benfica effect, isn't it? Where you know the part of that model, and they've obviously done it incredibly successfully, is over you know half a billion pounds worth of um, uh, transfer fee accumulation over however many it is, much you know, about around the decade period or otherwise, and uh, yeah, being able to then. Um, you know, blood all of those um, uh, players in Champions League, let them play against the elite crop. And um, and obviously the transfer piece goes hand in hand with the, the club valuation piece. So, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, moving sort of if we go from that micro position into a slightly, you know, more industry macro position, 
you want to touch on the um, the sort of economics and finances what will, from what will happen next year? Or do you want to sort of touch on Swiss model stuff and then go from there? Your, your call. Uh, yeah, let's go into the revenue stuff. So I think it's quite interesting. Um, so there's an announcement, uh, maybe not last week, but the week before last, from UEFA and ECA on essentially the the MOU for the 24 to 27 cycle and, and the new revenue distribution model that, that had been announced. And it's pretty seismic, actually, that some of the changes um, that have been announced and they've kind of um, gone, I wouldn't say unnoticed, certainly in the sport business space, but maybe amongst fans gone a little bit unnoticed and certainly maybe amongst kind of European clubs. Um, so the, the kind of general trajectory of, of revenue distribution in, in European football has been more money to... Um, to essentially clubs, uh, biggest clubs uh, and clubs based on historic performance uh, and less money to uh, clubs not competing in Europe. And there have been some distributions. I think the Conference League has been a big boost for um, for clubs you know, competing outside the top uh, top 60 or so clubs in, in Europe. Um, so there's been some redistribution to Europa League and, and Conference League. But, but what's been announced in uh, in the last week or so is that there are two big changes, I think, um, to talk through. The first is um, the amount, the proportion of money that's going to be distributed from uh, the, that UEFA pot uh, to clubs not competing in, in Europe is going up from 4% to 7%. Uh, and even though those are both small numbers in, in kind of absolute terms, it's pretty sizable. I think it's in the region of about 400 million euros um, is going up to. Um, so about you know about 1.2, 1.3 billion over over a cycle. Um, that's going to be distributed. Now it's obviously being distributed to a huge number of clubs. So the actual um, number per club isn't enormous, but but it is actually helpful for a lot of clubs. And a lot of clubs do um, kind of benefit from this income. It enables them to fund an academy or or you know hopefully use it in in, in a smart way rather than just um, spend it on player wages. So that's the first big shift, and and it is the first. Um, it is a significant shift, um, I think, uh, of money. Uh, and the second one is the there's essentially these pillars of how revenue is distributed to clubs competing in European competitions. Uh, and two of those pillars are the market pool, which is essentially a reflection of the fact that the biggest markets, um, so England, Spain, France, Germany, Italy, um, the, the money that is paid by those broadcasters, so BT and or TNT Sports, is now in um, in England. Um, that money is distributed to clubs in that market, um, and uh, or certainly a significant share of that money is distributed to clubs in that market. So it means that an English team going as far as a Danish team in the Champions League would get different different amounts of money because of the market pool um, factor. Uh, and then the other bit is this coefficient, which is a ten year coefficient, which is used to rank teams and, and distribute money based on that. That overall um, share of, of income um, or share of distribution is falling from 45% to 35%. So essentially less money is being distributed based on the market in which you're in uh, and also your historic performance. And that that is a really big shift because that is a, a, a kind of clear acknowledgement that a lot of money has ended up going, A, to, to kind of big market teams, i.e. big national um, international market teams in the sense of England, France, Germany, Spain, Italy, but also B to clubs within those leagues. Um, so it is very much a nod to the fact, and I think I, I almost feel like this wouldn't have happened without the Super League. Um, it's an acknowledgement that there has been a kind of move towards an over-distribution 
uh, of money towards the, the very biggest teams and and that's um, now being redistributed um, to other teams. Now, I'm not sure it's going to have a the, an enormous impact on uh, on the ability of smaller teams and, and clubs from smaller markets to compete. Um, but at, le- at the very least, I think you'll keep things kind of static and, and stop this kind of perpetual move towards um, significant imbalance in, in European football, which um, which is pretty stark and has been growing over the last 10 or 15 years. So, yeah, I think a couple of big changes there that that should be welcome, I think, for, for most people in European football. So what's been reported, and you, you, you mentioned it in the, the blog piece, was that um, there, there, there looks like there is going to be still quite a significant 30% overarching uplift in the, the values. Now, does that mean then, if we're talking about that revenue distribution, which is market pool and tenure coefficient reduces by way of um, uh, percentage um, um, distributions, that then the, the team performance element uh, on a yearly basis increases or is to be increased in order to demonstrate or rather to reward team performance on that particular year yeah that's right so that's that's the biggest increase as you say it's gone from 30 percent to 38 percent nearly 38 percent 37 percent there's also a greater share that's going to be shared equally which is a big pillar of premier league distribution so 25 percent of uh, I think I'm right saying 25 percent um, of, of Premier League money is is distributed evenly, perhaps a bit more. Um, I think it is more actually, um, and that that is going up as well in, in the Champions League. The one thing to say is that because, as you say, the um, the overall money is going up by about a third. I think is is the forecast for the for the next cycle. Actually, decreasing the market pool and coefficient. Um, but the overall value going up um, is probably offsetting each other. So if you are a, a Real Madrid, you're probably not going to be worse. In fact, you're, you're almost certainly not going to be worse off. Um, so I suppose in that respect, clubs can be kind of kept happy. And I think a lot of the um, a lot of the conversations about distribution become a lot easier once you know what the actual figures are. Uh, and obviously the um, uh, the Champions League rights from, from 24 onwards have been in the market now uh, and I believe have been sold. So, yeah, it's it's easier to, to tell a club or it's much harder to tell a club before you know what the numbers are, well, we're going to de- uh, you know reduce the amount of distribution from this thing that benefits you. Um, it's much harder to do that um, before knowing what the actual numbers are where you can show then, OK, well, actually, you're getting the same amount of money and all that's happening is a couple of other clubs are getting a bit more money to close the gap to you, but it's not going to be a meaningful gap closing um, if that makes sense it does it does and i think the other thing which sort of segues quite nicely into um i i know you've we we talked that it's probably last year when the swiss model structure got announced but it'd be great just to go through that in a little bit of detail because obviously the the value uplift is in part obviously due to competition and the attractiveness of the product and everything else but actually because the number of games is actually substantially going to increase. So, as you mentioned, 32 teams to 36 teams. Um, it looks like, well, the, 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 the stats are that there are from previous, um, from this being the last year of there being 125 matches, that there will be 189 matches and that um, there'll be eight guaranteed matches um, um, in that uh, the group stage will be replaced with that Swiss model um, structure where there'll be four home and four away matches as guaranteed numbers. So in a way, um, clubs are also going to have 
um, greater individual revenue opportunities because of um, those four home matches to be able to generate additional revenues. And obviously the rights hold UEFA being able to monetize greater because of the higher volume of matches that are going to be broadcast throughout that period too. Yeah, spot on. Um, so I think, firstly, as you say, that a big driver in the value uplift has been um, volume of games, which I, I think um, perhaps is a little bit of disappointment that there wasn't a greater uplift in, in the media rights value because there is a significant increase in, in the volume of games. Um, and, you know, it's, it's not completely reflected in the same proportional increase in, in the rights values. As you say, clubs will have now an additional home game in the Champions League. And if you are a kind of quote unquote big club, you are now guaranteed to have to be playing another kind of pot one team um, at home uh, or actually in the group state. You're going to play one home, one away, which doesn't exist today. Because obviously if you are, I appreciate the Champions pot and so on, which, which makes things a little bit blurred. But if you are a a Real Madrid or a Man City, it might be the case that you don't actually get another so-called big team in your group. But that, that will change um, going forward because of the, the way that the pots will be done and the way that the, the games will be will be scheduled. So, as you say, everyone plays eight games. You won't play everyone. You won't play all other 35 teams. You'll just play eight of them, but they'll be seeded. So it's kind of theoretically fair, although in truth, the, the UEFA coefficient is based on a five-year average and actually... Um, in many cases, that that kind of skews who are the good teams and who are the weaker teams um, in in the Champions League, as we see with with Newcastle's group. Um, we'll maybe get onto that a little bit later, but you know it doesn't necessarily mean that the groups are kind of all your fixture lists will be evenly balanced. Uh, but yeah, you'll play you'll play eight games, and then everyone will be ranked at the end of the eight games based on their performances in those eight games. Uh, the top eight will go straight through to the round of sixteen. The next eight will be at home. Um, or have a uh, second leg home advantage in this kind of playoff round, uh, which they currently have um, in, uh, am I right in saying they currently have it in the Europa League? I might be wrong on that. Um, but but it, essentially a playoff round, they'll be home in the second leg. And then teams, uh, what was it, 17 to 24, will, will be the away team in the second leg in, in that uh, knockout round. So there, I mean, I've seen a fair few articles criticizing the format and, uh, I understand where they come from. We've done quite a bit of analysis on this at, at 21st Group, and we actually think it's going to be quite entertaining. Um, it depends partly on where you see the jeopardy lying. Um, so there is, in our view, jeopardy in uh, essentially finishing in the top eight and not finishing in the top eight, because there is a big advantage, obviously, to not playing that playoff round. Uh, and then there's obviously jeopardy in finishing in the top 24 and not finishing in the top 24. Uh, and then there's obviously kind of seeding as well that you that you want to kind of finish high so you play a weaker team. So there is there is a kind of perpetual element of jeopardy, we think. And when we calculate and estimate the number of dead rubbers um, in the 24 to 27 format, we think there'll be fewer dead rubbers, um, even though kind of the instinct is to think the opposite because of the volume of games. So, certainly it's a proportion of the overall games. Uh, and my view is that final match day is going to be a lot of fun. You're going to have teams uh, all scrapping uh, and constant movement based on goals that go in. You can imagine with VAR and so on, teams moving up and down and the league table. Um, you know, we, we all jo enjoy the kind of as-it-stands moments of final group games. Um, this is going to be that on steroids, I think, in, um, in the new format, because you're potentially going to have four, five, six, seven teams, um, you know, competing for, for a handful of spots uh, and falling in and out of, 
of those spots on the final match day. So I think it'll be entertaining. Um, I think it will also probably help the stronger teams a little bit because more games reduces the element of, of luck. Um, but at the same time, I think there'll be a, a fair bit of entertainment. So I'm quite looking forward to it. Um, I, I know others are a bit more sceptical. I am a little bit jaded of the current Champions League format. I'm just not sure. I, I mean, I'm not especially looking forward to the group stages this year. I'm not sure about you, Dan, but I know maybe there's one or two interesting groups. But beyond that, it's really kind of sparked the imagination. So, yeah, I, I think it'll be an interesting change um, and I hopefully one that fans embrace. Yeah, I mean, I just, at a very basic level, um, I just really like the idea of the variation in that Swiss model of everyone playing eight teams. Um, and I think that's the the great element isn't it really that you know in the group stages you're you're playing everyone twice home and away whereas here you're playing a much greater variety and it might well be that you know some for whatever reason teams always end up playing certain other teams through luck obviously through luck of the draw literally luck of the draw but i think that variation um, and playing that well, at least one glamour tie in that group in i say group stage in that first swiss model stage um will be fascinating as well and i think obviously it'll take everyone a little bit of time to to get used to but you know i think um I really like the idea of it. There's obviously an idea of fairness as well, which I know you've touched on a little bit, Omar, which is, you know, the seeds, the coefficient, you know, is one team that you play away from home going to be at the same level that another team that is seeded the same as you and the other team that's seeded the same ranks better or worse, depending on more historic coefficients. But, you know, does it, will it work its way through? I don't know is the answer, but um, I think most of the teams will have a good enough chance to be able to qualify for the knockouts so long as, if I've got it right, you finish within place 24. Is that right? Yeah, that's right, exactly. Um, the interesting bit on the, um, the, the playoffs will be, again, your idea about... To, to your point around, will the better teams qualify? Again, it'd be the same thing. If there's no away goals mixed in with that, then you'd have thought that the that you know whether um, second leg home support counts or whether it counts worse or better without the away goals, then sort of yeah favors probably the more established teams even more than presumably. Yeah, yeah, away goals has a small advantage to favored teams, and also yeah, playing at home second leg now you get home advantage if it goes extra time without the threat of away goals. So, yeah, it's a small, small advantage. And, and as you say, the current format isn't entirely fair, right? Because um, that Newcastle, Dortmund, PSG, Milan group, uh, you know, it's not, you wouldn't say it's an evenly balanced group compared to some of the other groups. Now, it, it's, set up, it's set up to be a really interesting group. And, and in, some way, in some ways, I think you almost get the best of both worlds with the Swiss model because you're getting those types of games in the Swiss model every week. Um, you know, it'll be a mix of of different teams who, who's got the big game that week. Um, but you'll have, um, uh, but you're getting it kind of more evenly spread out, if that makes sense. You're getting those kind of big games like Newcastle versus Milan tonight or Dortmund versus PSG, but you're also getting, um, you're also getting it kind of spread out over the course of the group stage. Well, with a couple of minutes to go, because this half an hour has obviously flown by, at least for me, Um we, you know, you guys always do a great job of um, predicting. Um, I'm always terrible and you always tell me about how bad my predictions are. But based on the 
um, the data and crunching the numbers this season. I know probably the one team that um, is going to potentially at least dominate or a couple with being Madrid and um, and City, um, but without stealing any of your thunder, um, wh- where where does the where does the good money lie? Yeah, Man City um, in our model. I mean, they're so good, Man City in our, in our models. They are, you know, the gap between them and Liverpool, the second best team in the world in our models, um, which kind of tells you all you need to know about the kind of, you know, Liverpool are in a real cluster of teams and Liverpool aren't, you know, especially great at the moment. Um, the gap between City and Liverpool um, is as big as the gap between Liverpool and Aston Villa. Um, and I know Villa are good, but they're not amazing. So that kind of gives you a sense of like how much better City are than other teams. So we got them about 35% favourites to win the whole thing, almost 50% to reach the final, which is, I can't imagine in the history of the Champions League that's ever been the case in at this stage of the season um, or before a ball is kicked. Uh, and then it's a real cluster of teams, um, Bayern and Arsenal, Real Madrid and, and Barcelona, all, all pretty evenly matched um, and then a bit of a drop-off from there. So, yeah, I think it'll be... Uh, It'll be a very good performance to beat City. Almost your best choice in the final because over two legs, uh, you would you would fancy them. But so that my money would be on City, which is a bit of a boring boring back. But you know, hey, got to play the numbers. Well, it's your job. If you can't do that, then what chance have you got? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who's um, your pick? Oh, you got me started. I mean, you, I, you know, I can't look beyond City just because whenever I see them play, they're so so dominant. Um, but you know. I'm, there's, there's always the romantic in me which uh, says Liverpool, but as we didn't even qualify, I can't even say that. But um, you'd hope we Liverpool would get close to to Europa League, which is a nice trip to to Dublin potentially. Um, outside of that, I mean, I you, I can't bet against not that I bet at all. Yeah, but Madrid are looking strong. Ancelotti is doing so well. You know, they've got such an interesting attacking team potentially without a frontline striker, that whenever I've seen Madrid play, especially this season, they look pretty good. So, um, let's see. Yeah, yeah. I've got difficult to disagree. Um, but I think, yeah, that's looking like a, a fairly probable final. Um, but, but but don't, I mean, but I'm, I'm really interested to see how Bayern Munich get on because I, um, I, do, I do love Harry Kane. I, I hope he goes far. Um, but we'll, we'll have to see. Thanks, mate. It was a fascinating half an hour. And sorry I didn't do too much of the talking, but yeah, um, the, the more articulate part of Dan and Omar um, came to the fore tonight. No, no, not at all. Love chatting my, my Champions League football. All right, mate. Speak to you soon. Cheers, Bob. Thanks for listening. You can follow me on Twitter, TikTok and Instagram at Football Law. Read my blogs and listen to my previous podcasts via my website, danielg.com forward slash blogs. Please do subscribe to the Dundeal Football Podcast, like, share and tag me. If you like the content, if not my voice, you'll probably also like my book Dundeal, an insider's guide to football contracts, multi-million pound transfers and Premier League big business. A bit of a mouthful. It's available to buy in hard copy, digitally and via Audible. All links are in the podcast show notes. Lastly, the podcast is powered by 13 which is a fashion brand I've started. All proceeds go towards cancer charity research and particularly the stellar work done by John Krell, who has helped my mum through some difficult times over the last few years. You can take a look at the merch and hopefully buy a t-shirt, hoodie, cap, or all three. Please do spread the word and go to 13shop.co.uk. That's 13shop.co.uk. Thanks for listening.